0: This season turn it up to 10 Sorta of like a bad habit, we gon' do it again Ready or not, we're gonna tap some ends Go tell the 36, try to grab all the friends We're back like we never left On track like a treble clef Skip a beat on the 7th rest Bring feast, we don't pass them over We got the first fruits, no way to show us can't live on that bread alone. Every word of God's mouth will fuel me on. That's scripture. That's Christ alone. That's grace alone. That's faith alone. All glory to God, cause that's His alone. Since the land's been slain, we can each belong. The Lord is my strength, my peace, and my song. And I'll lay it all down at the feet of His throne. This yoke is easy. This burns light. Even with a loud mouth trying to eat at the mic. Even if we down south, the humidity spike. Fails torn in tubes so we gon' be alright. It's all grace till the hop goes off. Heretics better run till the top blows off. Got them all stood still like a child for the Botox. Break bring them down like a jaw on a blow pot. Don't stop, they're in need of it though. Through grace, by faith, they could easily grow. New wave, new age, new way to see bro. Now one truth, life, one way to the strong. son it's a year with the feast we can grow some time to put some meat in the bones gotta put the milk down son it's time to leave home I'm just saying there's a time and a season, you gotta be a Berean, if you just hear him believe it, you could be walking with demons, it could be rendering season. all the things that go to God, that's a little like treason, wait, welcome back my friends, did you ever really think we could pass the 10, our stock's up, we about to trend, cause the whole 36 wanna rap again, wait, sounds so good to be true, like we're been in candy land, ain't no ladders, just shoot, we hold true, if it's loaded in the cannon, best believers understand and if it's not, it ain't proof, like sacred name of the two house frame, ES start to tickle then you fill it in the planks, you better not, you be better off, not trying Hassle so hot you can take it to the bank That's night ready, he's about to go off Put the ring on your finger from the cracker jack box It's hide and seek, let's see if you can find out All the little messages you hit before the timeout Ever seen a scholar with a blue belt? I have, he's about to make your food melt The loud one and he strikes again But don't let him close range, he gon' bite your friends So relax, Got to still in control He knows every care, every bit that you hold He knows every hair, every need for your soul Nothing new around here, this story's been told I bet you feel weak and your life is in tatters With brute feet, your body is battered you can't reach, trying to climb up that ladder. Sit back and hold fast the Messiah Matters. These guys are better.
1: Wednesday, February 28th, 2024. This is Messiah Matters, number 463. As usual, I'm confused. My name is
2: Caleb Haig. And I'm Rob Benoff, reminding you all, it's a leap year, so today is not the last day of February. There is one more day tomorrow. There you go. February
1: 29th. All right. Andrew, in the chat room, I, I agree that that is... Probably my favorite line too. He's talking about the uh, talking about the uh, line in our intro music, have you ever seen a scholar with a blue belt? I have. Oh, makes me
2: tear up a little every time. Okay, so uh, if you like advance, if you like up up level, well that'll be next year's rap, mate. Oh I no. I'll be I'll be at blue for three
1: years for sure. So for those who don't know what we're talking about, actually we got a uh, we got a question about martial arts. Somebody asked if we could talk about martial arts just for a few seconds because they have something coming up where a homeschool thing is going to, I don't know, anyway. Um, I And sorry, I don't even have the email in front of me, so I don't even remember who sent it. Um, I suppose I could talk about martial arts for a few seconds. Um, so, so, for those who don't know, the 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 guy who raps in the uh, in the intro to our music, it, his name is Ben. Ben is one of my, the coaches uh, who uh, has been uh, coaching me in jujitsu for the past, uh, two years essentially. And, uh, he is, uh, he was there when uh, I was presented with my blue belt. And so that's the line that he put in there. Have you ever seen a scholar with a blue belt? I have, he's about to make your food melt is the line that he put in there. Um, so I was was,
2: face, is it food?
1: I think it's food melt anyway. So, um, the, uh, the, uh, Long and short of it is is that I got, first I, I was a practitioner of karate for, I don't know, a very short time, two months. I got out of the karate because I uh, did not appreciate the uh, meditation sessions that our school, that the school that I was going to had. And I was informed that that was how it was at most schools. So I got out of that. Um, then I went to Taekwondo with my son, who at the time was, I don't know, six, something like that. And we went to Taekwondo, we liked that the Taekwondo school that we went to because they had no meditation, which I was very happy about. However, there was a question about, um, there was a question about uh, Kata and like whether or not that was originally made for uh, like a Hindu celebration, all that kind of stuff. But ultimately the reason I didn't appreciate, now I'm going to, I'm probably going to, I'm probably gonna. I'm probably gonna tick some people off here. The reason I didn't appreciate Taekwondo from the very beginning was because I thought a lot of it was all fluff. Um, and now that I do Jiu Jitsu, I realize if I can get to the person's body um, without being knocked out, they're done. So uh, just in terms of practicality, I think that Jiu Jitsu is probably a more logical way to go if you're thinking about self-defense. With that said, I don't take jiu-jitsu for self-defense. I take jiu-jitsu because it's a, as a sport. So there's a whole sport that goes with jiu-jitsu. There's a point system. There's, uh, you know, you it's you and one other person for a certain amount of minutes. Points will win out. Uh, there's advantages, disadvantages, all sorts of stuff like that. So that's what I, that's what I do. I don't, I, you know, when am I ever gonna get in a fight? I'm not getting in a fight, you know? So anyway, uh, if, I. I think that anyone who does jujitsu will tell you that you should do jujitsu. If you're going to do a martial art, do jujitsu. No, there's no religion that's attached to Brazilian jujitsu at all. There's no meditation. There's no question of whether or not there's deities attached to it or prayer or anything like that. There is that in other martial arts, but, uh, I'm not an expert, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't know what to tell you. All right. That's, that's my, that's my shtick for Brazilian Jitsu. Let's move on. How you doing, Rob.
2: I'm doing very well. Thank you very much.
1: All right. Well, before we move on, let's go like this: resource.com. That's how you can uh, tell us what you want us to talk about. Maybe it's jujitsu. Maybe it's something else. Who knows? Cagatorresource.com. You can also call our comment line two five three four six five thirty two zero five. It's two five three four six five thirty two zero five. Won't talk to us. Just talk to an answering machine. MessiahMatters.com. Go and check out all past episodes. It's. Uh, it would. Uh, behoove you to behoove. do so. To you will do be so. Behooving. Clayton says, Caleb, I would love to roll with you. I'm just not in your area. Clayton, what belt are you, man? I think we've talked about this before. I think you're a higher belt than me. You'd crush. So that's, it's, you always want to roll with somebody who's a, who's a lower belt, a lower rank than you. Right. <laughs> so yeah, it's a, uh, it's a thing actually for, okay. One more thing on jujitsu before, more. before, before I do that, torresource.com all sorts of free stuff we're we're every single week new things are coming out and, and we're doing new stuff on torresource it's exciting subscribe um so I will tell you this um yeah uh, for those who are in the jiu jitsu world my school has affiliated with autoos jiu jitsu and if you're in the jiu jitsu world you know what that means and uh so in, I think May 1st, we'll have, we will move to a new building and we'll have the grand opening as Autos Jiu Jitsu, like the grand opening, even though we've been, um, even though we've been with Autos for some time, like about a year now, um, we will have an official grand opening as Autos and Clayton, if you, if you're looking for something to do, come on up, up to Tacoma, Washington, because Andre Galvao will be coming up and, uh, uh, doing a seminar to kick off our grand opening. So if you, uh, if you, <laughs> if you know, you know. Anyway, Clayton says I'm a purple belt, brother. But since COVID had hit, you know, I've been out. That's right. I remember the story. Been out for pro- for a while, so probably will still get an advantage because I'm <laughs> rusty. Yeah, actually, I had a, a purple belt who was out for uh, a year because he blew out his knee in every single way possible. I had to have surgery and everything. And when he came back, we had one role where I felt like I was doing all right. And then after that, no more. So, okay, let's get into it. Um, so- Yes, let's. I wanna to talk to you about something that happened to me yesterday. I got an email from someone. Now, I'm not gonna, I'm gonna, I am not going to i am going to i going to stay away from names. I'm gonna stay away from names and playing clips here um just this once just this no. once well here's the thing is that I'm trying to I'm trying to give people a little bit more grace right like when I think of people in the messianic or the hebrew roots movement which I would consider myself probably part of i don't know both of them none of them doesn't really matter y'all know how i talk about um you know about labels and that kind of thing anyway when I think about people in the, in the Messianic and the Hebrew Roots Movement, I, I mean, I get flustered very easily because I think that there are some very, very errant theologies that are attached to both. We'll talk about one of the, them in the Messianic Movement here in just a second. And uh, so I think oftentimes people might think that I, I dismiss uh, people in these movements as brothers and sisters in the Lord, I don't. And so in the spirit of trying to think of, of people in those movements as brothers and sisters in the Lord, I'm trying to I'm trying to give much more grace, if possible, to, to people. And so I was I sent this uh podcast the other day, and it was a podcast on uh the the people were talking about one law theology. Now, if you've heard this podcast, you're gonna know exactly who I'm talking about. That's that's fine. Um, and for those who don't know what one law theology is, we'll we'll I'll just give a real I'll give you a, a five-second spiel on, on one law theology. One law theology teaches that the Torah. God's law is for Jew and Gentile alike. There shall be one law for you and for the for the stranger who is dwelling among you. Okay? So the laws apply to Gentiles just as, as long as you're a covenant member, the covenant stipulations apply to you. That's one law theology. There's only one law. Okay? So they're talking about one law. My guess is, and I I don't know the motivation behind the uh, the, the the podcast that I was listening to. I, I ha- there was three gentlemen talking. I, I have to assume that the motivation was that that uh, some people have been talking in the messianic realm about uh, this this group of people, and um, that uh, they're they're kind of responding to the detractors. That's what I that's what I am gathering. And so I actually appreciated a significant uh, amount of the, of the podcast. I thought that a lot of what they said was actually ra- rather good. And, uh, they, uh, they count, they were coming from a standard messianic position. And I don't know where this conversation is going, by the way, I just thought about talking about this about five minutes before we came on the air. So, and Rob I have help- not
2: heard of it, yeah what this is so, so, anyway, keep so going.
1: Rob help me out here at some point if you want. So well, I don't know what, I, I have no context, so that's okay. It's okay. I'm going to give you some context. I'm going to give you some context here. So they come from, they were coming from a standard messianic position and for uh, the standard messianic position that I'm speaking of is the idea that the Torah is, is uh, predominantly not all of it, but predominantly for Jews. And so the Gentiles have the ability to, uh, to, to, Carry out parts of the Torah, some of the Torah is universal, like uh, you shouldn't murder, you shouldn't steal, you know these kind of things are universal laws for for everybody, they're not just for Israel, but then Israel is given some kind of favor. and as I'm listening to this podcast, I'm genuinely and I, I mean genuinely thinking to myself, okay before you know before I start, I thought, okay, I'm going to put myself in a headspace. The headspace is I'm a messianic Jew, Jewish by blood. And I'm going to, and I'm working for this group of people. I'm one of their colleagues, okay? And I'm part of this organization, and I've bought in. I've bought into whatever they say. Whatever they say, I'm I'm buying into it. Like that. So, where do I like? What are the theological steps I have to go down to be able to to be in that theological position? This is this is how I'm attempting to listen to the the podcast. And the standard idea is that, well, there are things that, that are only for Jews. For instance, the, the Shabbat. Now, I, uh, once again, I'm, I'm not sure how, how they come to this because the Shabbat's given to all mankind in the seventh day, right, of creation. God rests so that everyone will rest, right? Um, and so they're t- saying, well, if you're a Gentile, you probably, you know, you shouldn't keep the, the, the Shabbat in the same way that the Jews keep it. You know, you shouldn't, uh, the laws don't apply to you. So you like, you, and essentially it's what the, the, the non-believing Jews say, which is, um, you know, you should break some of the Shabbat so that you, <laughs> because you're a Gentile, right? I mean, that's essentially the same kind of idea. <clears throat> Here's my question. Here is my question. And this is, this is where I'm going with this. How are Messianic Jews, this is, this is genuine, by the way, like, I, I really don't understand this how are messianic jews coming to the notion that the like that israel has special laws just for them and what i what i came to when i was listening to, to it was exactly was your was your term rabbinic candy land i thought man they've come out of this rabbinic candy land they just got all this like all this rabbinic candy stuck to them right and like that's what they're pulling from that's what I have but I mean genuinely and I'm 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 down to hear what the what the what the uh chat room says as well so where are the Messia- where are the messianic Jews outside of outside of rabbinic literature where are the Messianic Jews coming up with the idea that there are special laws just for them
2: yeah there there's a uh, just real quick and I, I want to hear more of what of what you were encountering is there's there are jewish israeli believers in israel that in hebrew they would be called meshichim right they would be called messianic but are very you know american christianized uh in terms of interpretation of the scripture they don't they don't think the sabbath is obligatory they right. don't think the food laws are obligatory, but they're Messianic Jews. So, so the problem of, of what, what is obligatory for Messianic Jews is a problem within the Messianic Jewish worlds itself. We don't even have to introduce the issue of Gentile.
1: So, okay, wait, hang on just a sec. With that, then, that let problem me... to, be a, to be a problem. Let me ask you this then, and like, and, and once again, I am like, this is, I'm genuinely wondering this. It's a very rare that I come on to our show with questions that I don't already have a slew of answers of how I'm going to, how I'm going to answer these. I mean, these are genuine questions. So do you think that it, do you think that in the, within the messianic realm, do you think that the messianic Jews are almost like the, the Chabad where it's like, we have a mission to go in and find the Jews within the church. And bring them to like, and bring them into the Messianic synagogue. Are they actively trying
2: to evangelize the Jews in the church? I think there are there are whiffs of that. I've never seen one that had it as a mission statement, but um, uh, Doctor Oh David Rudolph, Doctor David Rudolph, Doctor Rabbi David Rudolph, of course. When he tells his story, at least when I've heard him tell the story, he grew up, he was, you know, Jewish, but grew up in a Christian church. And his pastor had this heart for Israel and encouraged him, said, you need to go, you, you're you Jewish, you're different. There's something special about you and you need to go learn what that is. And he always, not always, it sounds like I've talked to him all the time or I heard him, I've never, you know, heard him talk about this that the that was a very special thing you know that pastor has a, holds a very special place in dr rudolph's life because he insisted on difference and then it led him on a journey of learning about the torah and so if that's true there then there are other jews in christian churches that need to be encouraged in the same way to recognize the difference and learn what that distinction is and to go and learn from people in the know, people who are going to tell them what that distinction is so that they can be all who God wants them to be. See, I think the, that's
1: kind of the story. So that, The other problem I, is, is that the other problem that I saw that I really like pinpointed, and and this isn't to put anyone down, but, you know... There were, there were a lot of good things that were said in this podcast. One of them was that they said, well, you know, circumcision, something that you and I say all the time, circumcision in the first century was a shorthand for conversion. It wasn't, it wasn't just a, the physical act of, of cutting away the flesh. And I'm like, yes, exactly. Right. As they're saying this, but then it strikes me like, okay, well they agree that like Paul is talking, speaking like you don't have to, you don't have to go through a ritual of conversion. So it seems like within the Messianic realm, and not just this podcast, I'm, I'm talking about like not within only do you not
2: have to, it's the wrong direction. Exactly. And it, yeah, exactly. It's, it's the wrong direction. Yeah. It's, right. It's but like, then nope.
1: if, if that's the case, then why does the MJAA and the UMJC, Messianic organizations, for those who are unaware, why, why are they promoting a, 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 like a
2: form of conversion? And, and why do they have rabbis? Why did they ordain <laughs> rabbis? Where do they get that? Rabbinic Candyland. uh,
1: Yeah, I mean, it really makes me sad.
2: If you take away the Messianic rabbi, if you take away the title rabbi, the whole house of cards falls. They have to have rabbinic ordination because they have to respect it as somehow from God. And the fact of the matter is,
1: yeah, it's, I think it's that's It's not. Right. Yeah. Well, and that's the other thing is that they said, you know, to, the, the, for a When gente, John the Baptist
2: for, is called Rabbi and Yeshua is called Rabbi, that was not at that time a, a, a branded affiliative, you know, affiliation membership, you know, that had been bestowed on them by other by you know, the guys who had gone before, that's not what that is. But by the first century or late first century and beyond, it had become this other title of honor that then started to kind of was hijacked by the rabbis of the Mishnah and the Talmud to create an exclusive um, kind of pantheon of accepted sages that represented not the written Torah of Moses, the scribes were doing that, but an oral Torah that was communicated to Moses along with the written, but never written down. And that you, in order to be true Israel, you had to be under these shepherds, these sages who taught you the halakha, how to be Jewish. And that includes things like who you can buy meat from, who you can buy wine from. So economic things, things that have social ramifications. You can't eat at those person's house because they don't wash their hands properly. They don't wash their dishes properly. They'll put milk and meat on the table together, right? Right. Stuff like that. And they started enforcing and they started, like any good religion, like Catholicism, you know, people started buying into it. So here's
1: the thing, though, is that within this podcast, they said that for a Gentile to essentially do, I think I don't remember the exact word. I want to say that the exact word was steal, but like to do the, the commandments that are only for Jews, zit, zit okay, to feeling, uh-oh. I know, right? Yeah, exactly, same <laughs> no. here. I got, I got mine on too. So, so to do these things was her, like heretical. That would be heretical. And to, to me, first of all, you're using a, a Catholic word, Right, uh, heretical. So you it's a, a
2: rabbinic point of view, right? Exactly. It's a and, it's but, a it's a Talmudic point uh, there, of view.
1: There, that, and that, and that's the point is that like for it's me, it's not to, a
2: gospel point of view. Exactly. They are, they are advocating for for the anti for the anti gospel. That's an advocate. That's advocacy for the for the spiritual enemy in a way.
1: I I, I tend to agree with you on that. The thing is, is that I, I, like, you know, as I'm watching these, listening to these gentlemen, I'm thinking to myself, like, you know, I don't believe, I, I honestly do not believe that these men are sitting in their house going like, ha-ha, how can we make money? Or ha-ha, you know, like those... Horrible Gentiles, or anything like that. I, like, they have bought full force into this idea, into this notion that the Torah is like the Torah is a birthright only for the Jews and not for the Gentiles. And to do that, I think that what they've had to do is they've had to explain away all these and uh, Rushki bear in the in the uh, chat room says yeah i think they use the talmud and and probably acts and that's true throughout the podcast they keep going back to acts and and horribly mistranslating all these passages um at least horribly trans- mistranslating in my view right it's my view that they're mistranslating them but they have built with these du- like like you've always like your analogy of these duplo legos right they've built this duplo lego castle around them um you know and and it, it for them it stands tall for me that that du- the duplo legos have fallen and shattered everywhere and it's just a bunch of rabbinic nonsense it's it's man-made nonsense
2: and to even you know one thing i remember is that is that some of these messianic groups i don't i don't get like greek exegesis you know what i mean or even hebrew ex- exegesis for that matter um but anyway keep keep going well, kumi Ori Farm, I
1: think I'm saying that right, I'm probably not, so I apologize, says perhaps the underlying aim is to preserve the distinctive ethnicity trimmings. Wonder if they forbid marriage outside of the tribe. And see, this is the other thing, is that I think that one of the things that the Apostolic Scriptures, these guys in this podcast, in this particular podcast, even say that like a significant amount of the <coughs> Apostolic Scriptures the New Testament is focused on trying to say that they're like that the Gentiles are welcome, well, but not welcomed fully, right? I mean, like not according to Messianic, like the, the the mainstream Messianic Judaism. And so, if it's to to preserve a distinct ethnicity, I would have to agree with you. Ultimately, I think that the that what the
2: apostolic scripture and, that, and insta- that would be against even like Paul in Galatians says says when he rebuked Peter, he's like, you live ethnicos. Like, in other words, which was saying, Peter is remi- or sorry, Paul is reminding Peter that, according to these uh, the, the circumcision club, Peter himself was not living ethnically properly, right? Yeah. And so for Peter then to separate and, not, and stop eating with the Gentiles up in Antioch was absolutely. Out of fear of the circumcision uh, gang, that that was absolute hypocrisy. And he said even Barnabas was was snickered into that for a time. So. So yeah, th- these are constructs. I had this the other day. I had an email from a guy saying, "Look, it, he just is bound and determined to read the scriptures with these lenses that say Jewish ethnicity markers." literally he, right yeah. that that was like the recurring thing and I I, the I was as gently as possible trying to say look first of all like this is one of those times I'm like P- here's my office phone number call me <laughs> three or four times I'm like I got to the point at the end of the back and forth I'm like look if you want to engage further call here's my here's the number um, because I but he and then nev- nothing right it's been like a week no call but the idea is I I trying to help this get this little speck out of his eye or plank that jewish ethnicity marker is the proper way to think about god's commandments like it's it's like taking the commandments of god which reflect god's holiness and glory and his will and reframing those as, oh, those are Jewish ethnicity markers. And then something about, oh, you know, bronze age diet, Hebrew bronze age diet, or, or uh, dress taboos, right? All of a sudden now we've, it, it, and what, what this is, this is the materialist or even Marxist historical view, which is permeates biblical scholarship. We see it at SBL all the time, has mixed in with the people sinking when they read the Bible and it's no longer like, to me, it's a low view of of scripture. It's like a low view of scripture to reduce the Sabbath or circumcision or Leviticus 11, Deuteronomy 14 to Jewish ethnicity markers. Right. I, I mean, who, but to be fair, he didn't invent that term. He, and it wasn't Messianic Jews that invented that term. It is probably, Protestant Christians, who, and maybe maybe some Catholics in the wake, uh, lagging a little bit behind. But I would suggest Protestant twentieth century Protestant Christian teaching is where you'd find the emergence of this idea of Jewish identity markers. Why? But uh, because okay. it helps them say we're distinct from Israel. So that's they're see- they're dis they've disinvited themselves and added this distance.
1: So I, I would argue though, that if we look at the his, history of the, of the Christian church, you have the same thing happen with the catechumens, cat, right? In the, in the third, fourth century, the Catechumens are coming in, they're like the converts, right, to Christianity. And there's this idea of, hey, you, can't, you can come and you can learn from us, but until you convert essentially, until you're baptized, right? So, that, so it's a different way of becoming <clears throat> into the club, but until you're baptized, you don't have the right to do X, Y, Z, right? And, you know, the the sacraments, which I know this is a later term, but, you know, what are becoming the sacraments, right? Whether it's the, the Eucharist or whether it's, you know, certain prayers or whether it's, you know, uh, fasting with the group or whatever it is, you know, these things are off limits to you until you become one it's of like us. the
2: it's the community. It's the Damascus Document. It's the exactly. community rule yeah. at, at Qumran. It's the, that's what the Essenes did. It's what the Yahad did. And it's like, well, okay. So, we have more than one example from the ancient world of. It's almost like concentric circles of community, of like acknowledged or recognized community membership, and how do you get to the center? is the question. And then, oh, you got to jump through this hoop. Oh, you got to go do this. Oh, you got to do this. And make this oath. You got to put all, deposit all your life savings into this account, right? You got to serve as a well digger, you know, for so much time. And then we'll let you have some of the the drink that we drink, you know, and then so on and so. And then we'll test you. And then you can have solid foods, you know, this kind of thing. So... Uh- yeah man it's it is uh but you know the the this the need for catechism or you know that you're talking about is important i mean learning it is true that we don't fully grasp the whole picture in one in one instant right it takes um discipleship is a long right journey it's a long it's the long it's
1: lifelong it's lifelong yeah
2: but but you know our view is is justification is is an instant right justification and followed by a long walk of of sanctification um so yeah it but back to this the idea of ethnicity you know god is the one who keeps israel and you know there are that and you don't even need to you can just subtract christianity out of it you can subtract messianic judaism out of it and just look at jewish history and there was there are so many times in the modern era you know from the last three four hundred years where you had these external things that were viewed as uh threats threaten threatening the survival of israel that ended up not being a threat. There are, I don't know, I wouldn't say millions. There could be, you know, hundreds of thousands of American Jews that are not religious. Right. Yeah. They're not religious. They don't, they're not Shomer Shabbos. They don't, they don't eat, you know, they eat whatever they want. Right. But they are proudly ethnically Jewish. Now it might come down to it when they get married, they're probably like, yeah, my mom wants me to marry a Jewish girl, you know. And that and that's probably it. That's probably where their their idea of an obligation to a a heritage is. And maybe they celebrate Hanukkah, you know, and or go to a you know what I mean? But it's it's like it's like, you know, you're Christian and Easter, or what do you call it? Christmas and Easter Christians. It's like you're Hanukkah, and Passover Jews you know so um
1: I have a friend yeah. I would, I, I would I would talk about right now, but I, I don't want to talk yeah i I'll, I'll leave my friend out of it anyway I, I do have I'll say this I have a friend who is who is married to a practicing reformed Jew so I mean and you know then then the the issue he's Catholic, and so the issue is, okay, well, you know what do we do? And I asked him. I said, well, you know, what do your kids go to mass with you? And he said, oh, no, their mom's Jewish. They go to, they go to temple. Okay. So anyway, all right, let's, let's get to things that are actually on the list. I hope that you've all enjoyed this walk down. Yeah, half hour in. <laughs> I know, right? Sorry, my bad. No, my it's bad. good. I, I, I don't mind. Can you give me, this is from Cole. Cole writes in, can you give me some insight into Matthew 7, 7? I mean, we know that it can't literally mean what it is saying, thoughts. And what he's referring to here is the idea of, well, let's get to it, Matthew 7, 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. And I I asked him, I said, what do you mean it can't literally mean what it, what it says? He says, well, I'm not, not going to get everything that I ask for. There's other passages too, you know, like uh, if you pray in my name, it'll be given to you. So um, there's a parallel text, by the way, to this, which is in Luke, which is if, you, if a son asks his father for you know, a gift, will he give him a, a rock? Will he give him a snake? How much more will your father give you the Holy Spirit if you I think ask for it? That's also in Matthew too, some of that. But anyway. So, well, it's here in this passage. That's why this is. That's why I think this is a parallel passage. Oh, gotcha. He gotcha, says, okay. or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give you? Will give him a stone, or right. if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? That's in uh, the next three verses. Um, so what's the anyway? Qu-
0: what's so the question the, is: is, question? is
1: is why? Uh, Why won't, like, how can we reconcile this? If I ask God for something, he's not gonna give me everything I want. If I want a Ferrari, God's not gonna give me, you know, if I say, Lord, give me a Ferrari, he's not gonna give me a Ferrari. And my response to this, and this is, I mean, this can be a very quick uh, response. My response to this is is that we have to frame this in what what Yeshua has been talking about. He's talking about the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount, he's talking about the gospel message as a whole, the kingdom coming. In fact, I believe that the, uh, that the, the Lord's prayer is right around this, this, uh, yeah, chapter six. Yeah, exactly. So he's talking about the kingdom coming on heaven, the kingdom of heaven coming on earth, so on and so forth. He's talking about the gospel message. He's talking about, um, you know, patience. He's talking about all these different things, all these attributes that are of citizenship of the kingdom, And so the point is, is that if you ask for these things, and once again, our parallel text in Luke about the Holy Spirit, he specifically says, if you ask for the Holy Spirit, it'll be given to you. And so my response is, if you ask for the Holy Spirit, then if you seek the Holy Spirit, it will be given to you. Knock on the door and ask for the Holy Spirit, and it will be given to you. This is the point, is that um, it's not just saying, if you want anything in the world, if you want a brand new house, and you ask, I'm going to give it to you. He's speaking about something specific. <clears throat> that would be my
2: response, Rob. Uh, I have two answers. My Please. first answer is that ask, seek, and knock. That this this is an important passage because it proves that Jesus taught in English. Because <laughs> ask starts with A, seek starts with uh, S, knock starts with K, and it's ask. a deliberate acronym yes. for ask. I and got it. it. Like, it, it doesn't work in any other language. There you go. So, yes, it's true. Jesus spoke English. English. Yes, of course. And it was, I think if we do more digging, we might find it was the King James Version. <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> if the King James Version Speaking was up for Speaking of James, ball.
2: that takes me to my second answer. Ah, yes. Uh, James, or Jacob, uh, chapter 1, 5 through 8. I'll just be reading here from the NASB 95. Probably my favorite... You heard it here Translation, it's the one that doesn't suck the most. The most? (laughs) No. No, it has the least suck factor. Okay. (laughs) Uh, But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith, without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind— That man ought not expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So the idea of ask, seek, and knock, seriously, this is my serious answer, is that because the picture is is the Heavenly Father, like you're a child of God. right? right? And just as a child in this world, even if the unbelievers, a child of unbelievers, right, the Father will give give you know give his son whatever he's asking for if it's it's something legitimate like a legitimate need uh and bracketing cruel parents which of course we know there is cruelty and that's not that's the outlier um that acknowledging lack of of good things we that's why we're to seek first the kingdom of God the Proverbs tell us time and again that wisdom comes from God and so in humility, when we recognize, wow, I'm in a situation, I lack wisdom here, or I lack understanding. And then going to our father and saying, Abba, I I need wisdom from you. I I lack wisdom in the situation. I lack understanding. Um, I'm having, you know, trouble whatever it is. It's like acknowledging our need. We come as having needs and and also in the same Larger passage of the Sermon on the Mount, he says, "Your your Father knows what you need before you even ask." So, when we do ask, the that, that what's implied is that asking that corresponds with our genuine need, right? And and that that we can that God is absolutely faithful and trustworthy to provide His children with what they need. Um, that's that's my answer.
1: A good answer. The first right. one
2: I'm still, I'm not totally sold on, but it's, it's a, it, I am leaning there. towards Jesus speaking English.
1: Uh-huh. Let's move on. Eric writes in, what are your thoughts on blood curses? Now this is one that I said that we were going to get to. So this will, this will be, uh, this will be good. What are your thoughts on blood curses? Can families have curses? That sounds on their like marriage? a Harry Potter book. What is <laughs> the, yes. what, I don't know what blood curses is. So I'll, I'll, is, I'll tell you, hang, hang on just a second. Oh, okay. Can families have curses on their lineage that get passed from one generation to the next? Does being a, a born-again believer in Yeshua lift the curse? This is a reference, I think, mainly to uh, the the 10 words, Exodus 20, verse 5 through 6. I will read that for you now. You shall not bow down to them, talking about idols, or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of right. those who love me and keep my commandments. Now, the parallel verse to this, there's actually two of them, but they both are in the same vein, so I'll only I'll only, um, I'll only read one of them. Now, it should be said, before we move on, it should be said that the, that the uh, charismatic... Uh, and and uh, the um, <clears throat> you know uh, prosperity movement have really really centered on this idea of. Of blood curses, right? So that family curses. And um, you know, there's I look I just did a a quick look. I put um uh family curses or blood curses into Amazon, into the book uh center at Amazon. And there's books on how to break the blood curses and like how like how to how to reverse the family curses and all this kind of stuff. Um so more on that in just a second. So the, the parallel verse here um, that people use, and I've used this, by the way, I've used this. If you look at some of our old shows, uh, you'll hear me reference this. And, and my view was, no, there's no such thing as a blood curse. In other words, you, like because uh, my father, you know, somebody cursed my father, it's not going to come to me. And I, that's the thing is that I don't think that just because someone tries to put a curse Like there's two different things here. There's a blood curse uh, in terms of the way that that the scripture is using it uh, in the the Exodus 20 passage, five and six. And there is a, uh, there's a, like someone putting a curse on your family. And uh, both these things are things that people talk about. Um, So in terms of the first one, the idea that uh, there is a lineage curse um, from God, Uh, is often the rebuttal is from Ezekiel 18 verses 19 through 23. I'll read that. It says, yet you say, why should not the son suffer for the iniquity of the father when the son has done what is just and right and has been careful to observe all my statutes? He shall surely live. The soul who sins shall die. The son shall not suffer for the iniquity of the father, nor the father suffer for the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. But if a wicked person turns away from all his sins, now this is important because I think that this is, this is actually part of the uh, of the overall both parts of this anyway. But if a but if a person a wicked person turns away from all his sins that he has committed and keeps all my statutes and does what is just and right, he shall surely live he shall not die. None of the transgressions that he has committed shall be remembered against him for the righteousness that he has done. He shall live. Have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked declares the Lord God and not rather that he should turn from his way and live. So I think that you have two things going on in the Ezekiel passage. The number one is if a person, in other words, if my dad kills someone, uh, I'm not to be put to death for his sin. That's, that's number one, okay? So I don't think that it's talking about blood curses in this passage. However, the idea that if a person turns from their wickedness, now we're talking about the idea that, you know, if, if uh, no matter what, God is going to forgive a person who turns from their wickedness. And this is the second part of the passage. Now, when it comes to the blood curses, and I'll pass this over to you in just a second. Do I think that there is such thing as a blood curse? I don't think that if someone puts a hex on me or uh, puts a curse on my family, that my family is gonna have this curse throughout my generations until somebody breaks it through whatever. What I do believe is that God does visit the iniquity of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. What this means is, and I'll give you, I'll give you an example here, because it's happening in our, in our day and age uh, quite a bit. Okay, and that is this. If you, have a, uh, if you have a family, I'm using quote marks for those who are in audio land. If you have a family of a gay couple, okay, and they uh, adopt a child, okay, and that child comes into their home from, uh, you know, one day old and is raised in that, in that family, okay, or if you have a, uh, a father who leaves his, his wife and you have a single mother who is attempting to raise that child. Now, there's no dig on single mothers. There are plenty of great single mothers out there. But the point is, is that God has intended for a family to be a family. There's gonna be repercussions in both those situations. Most likely, the child who's raised in the, under uh, two homosexual men are going to be raised with that worldview. And if they get married to even if they get married to uh, you know in a you know to a, a person of the opposite sex, they're probably going to pass those same ideologies and those same sins, the the view of those sins, onto their children. Now, does that mean that it can't be broken? Of course, it can be broken. If a person turns to the Lord with all their heart, right, then God sees that and will embrace that person into them, right, into Him. But. The point is, is that sin, like, you know, even like the idea of a father leaving uh, his family and, and not raising his children, the repercussions of this will last not only from that generation, but to the next generation and the next generation. And so this is how I see this, is that sin permeates generations. Does that mean that it can't be overcome? Of course it can be overcome. And we see that even in the Ezekiel passage. But the point is that, uh, is that these things can be overcome. And, uh, but they, but there are repercussions and righteousness is the same. A person who is righteous and a person who lives a life unto God, um, they will pass this to their children and their children will continue to, uh, pass it on. All right, Rob, I've talked for a while. Go for it.
2: No, that's fine. Because while you were talking, I was searching the Torah resource article archive, but I can't remember the title, but there's an article where Tim Haig, your father, uh, talks about the verb pakad, pay kufdalit in Hebrew, which is that that verb used visit, well you know, visiting the iniquities or etc. But I, I can't find it. So it might not be up presently uh, or my memory could just be totally wrong. And no, but I, I think he did at some point write a, a short article about this understanding this. And it might be in the title something about Exodus or, or the, like Exodus twenty, or but also the Ezekiel passage. Um, but anyway, I think you and I look at this the same way. That uh, the vis- what we call the visiting of the iniquities—is it's a confrontation. It means that 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 it doesn't go away, and so when it's when the the sons basically the offspring of wicked people it doesn't mean that they are automatically going to behave in the same way but that there it needs to be there's an account that needs to be made an acknowledgement of that i mean one one example would be daniel nine with the daniel's prayer he's like confessing the sins of his fathers Right, he's con- it's he's confessing the sins of of people that had gone before him, for why Jerusalem was destroyed. Right, why there's an exile in the first place. So there's an element uh, of that, but on the same uh, token, you also have like the Book of Kings, which is full of, right, like, the whole book of First and Second Kings is about God's covenant framework to which Israel is accountable, and then how different kings you know, like the extreme cases are Ahab, right? Or Manasseh who go way against, but then you have like your Josiah or your, your Hezekiah, right? And, and that are totally for the Lord. And it'll always say like, he did go, he followed after the footsteps of his father and did evil in the eyes of the Lord, or he did not follow after, he, he turned back to God and did not follow after the footsteps of his father, right? So you, so over and over again, it's it is, but but when when you have a good king that emerges a king that loves god he has to destroy all these high places and stuff it's like he has to reckon with the problem and the wickedness that had come before so that's how i under understand that it's not like oh you know a good king emerges right and the high places stay up now there are places where kings didn't go as far, right? They they didn't fully eradicate the idolatry, but they did a lot towards that. So obviously, the the history of the kings of Israel and Judah have all sorts of nuance. But and so I'm making some general statements, but but that's the idea. So as I there's, it. there's kids some who int- grow up in a under a wicked under wicked parents have it have a lot of a lot of healing you know when they come to faith there's there's there can be potentially a lot of damage and and assessing and re- coming to terms with that damage and seeking god's wisdom and healing is going to entail being confronted with the fact of of the of the bad behavior
1: so there's an interesting conversation that's going on in our uh, chat room um and i i'll
2: I'm not on um, it, so I was going to get on there and post so, that but, article, but well this but I is it,
1: So, so th- this is, someone says, blood curses are, fam- are families that get involved in secret societies. The person who wants to escape a blood curse needs to be very explicit in their prayer that they reject the blood curse on them they repeat this until the curse is gone. And then, um, hang on, I'm not done. And then he says, uh, a man joins a secret society, makes a blood oath and curses his family. I am one such victim. Now, someone else says, <laughs> you're gonna need to uh, bring some Bible verses for this. I, I tend to agree. Um, I don't see anywhere in scripture where oh, that would be the case. I think
2: I understand. I think I didn't understand that viewpoint before. Let me just repeat make sure I understand the idea is some there was out, outside of God's covenant you know there's pagans or whatever they created a secret society they the members put themselves under some sort of blood oath for them and their children right. And then the idea is that binding. Now, like that, does that a binding so, thing that has to be broken for the new generation that becomes and, a believer?
1: And this is the second kind of curse that I was talking about. In other words, the idea that someone curses my family or something like that, and then that curse is on my family until I break it. Here's the thing: is that I believe yeah. that, in, and I believe that any time a person comes to to Christ, you, no matter what, that curse, any any kind of curse yeah, that a person not,
2: would, has no power, <laughs> has no power yeah, whatsoever. Be be assured, yeah, be assured. Now. That's part of your healing might be going, if you're, if you have fear, if you're, if it's got you afraid, well, there's healing there for you. And just learning scripture and learning that, that it really has no power. um, That's important. Yeah.
1: But if, if my father was, was part of some secret society and put, and put some so-called blood curse on me and I come to Christ, there's nothing that needs to be done. That yeah, has been taken no, care exactly, of completely. There's no
2: ritual. There's nobody, no... Can,
1: nobody can put a blood curse on me because uh, because I'm in Christ. I have blood that's already been spoken for, for me. I've been washed by blood already. And I I just do not believe that uh, that uh, such a uh, blood curse or whatever you want to say uh, is going to bind a believer.
2: Well, That is not how the scripture. speak. It's also an imaginary world where they have... Um, they have imagined covenant faithfulness to demonic. (laughs) They've like projected this idea of covenant faithfulness. In other words, in the secret society, if they're, if they have a quote unquote blood oath or blood curse on their children and stuff, they're the picture of the, of their deity or non-deity, whatever is the idea that there's, that there's a faithfulness to uphold that blood curse over generations. Right. Right. And it's, 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 Obviously, all is just a product of darkened hearts. It's it's not um, it's not real. So all right. let's move on. But the fear we is have... real. People feel afraid, oh, yeah. and so learning the truth of the gospel will dispel that fear.
1: Let's move on. Um, Nelda Nelda Bell writes in, and this this will be a quick one. This will be our last. Uh, this will be our last our last conversation for the day. She writes and she says, I'm curious about a topic. I went back and listened to show 286 and 227. Wow, that's about old school. Baptism. almost old school. old school. That's middle also, kingdom. Also, <laughs> also, downloaded a couple of articles. What is the difference between a mikveh and a baptism? Now, every time we talk about this, we, the emails get sent. So that's fine. You can take a different view. Was John the Baptizer doing something brand new? Where did God command him to do this? Why was he not persecuted for doing something brand new out of the blue? Mm. My question about baptism is mostly, is this a new command suddenly created by God, given to John for us to now follow as a testimony of Yeshua's death and burial and resurrection? I come from a background where not only were you to be fully immersed, but if you aren't, even though you accept Yeshua as your savior, you will not be accepted into heaven. Thank you again for your willingness to teach and your service to God. Okay. A lot going on in this question. I will give you my perspective and, and then pass it over to Rob. Number one, I do not believe that a mikvah and a baptism are the same thing. Mikvahs are done uh, continually, not just once. They are uh, done to wash away um, uh, impurity and it is a ritual to be able to bring you back into a sacred space, ultimately, okay? So that's uh, that's what a mikvah is and uh, a baptism is only done once. There's one baptism, and uh, once for all time. You are baptized one time, you are baptized into something. And uh, so uh, I think evidence for this is the fact that John the Baptist didn't just do a mikvah uh, in the mikvahs in Jerusalem. He went out in and went to the Jordan for it. I think that that's very significant. Uh, my second answer to this is, was it something new? Well, yes and no. Um, it was, it was new in the idea that, uh, well, it's new in the idea that we, the old, the first attestation that we have of a quote unquote baptism in this sense to bring somebody into a, into a, uh, you know, service to somebody is John the Baptist. That's the, that's all there is to it. The first first century work that we have that talks of baptizing someone to bring them into a community is John the Baptist. Um, however, Uh, Is it the first time we see baptism? No. Israel was baptized into Moses when they went through the Red Sea. Paul tells us this, right? So baptism and the way that it functions is actually used all the way back when, you know, in...
2: And they didn't even get wet. Exactly. That's the original sprinkling, because I think some of the waves were kind of...
1: The spray came off the waves. Yes, exactly. It
2: It was actually mist,
1: baptism by mist. There you go. So ultimately, uh, I I am very taken with, uh, I think it's N.T. Wright who uh, talks about the notion of going out. So Israel is waiting for a Messiah. Okay, They're waiting for the coming king who's going to uh, overthrow Rome and going to give the land and, and everything back to, you know, they see themselves, in, even though they're in the land and even though they have the temple, they see themselves in exile because they're under the rule of the Romans. And so they're waiting. Yeah, and, yeah, and even Nehemiah it says we're slaves in our own land. Right. And so the question, the, so ultimately, I think what is being you know what Israel is is seeing, what the people are believing is, hey, we're in exile because we have not followed the co- the covenant of God. God has put us under the ex- under the, the thumb of the Romans because we have not been faithful to the covenant. And so <clears throat> they're looking for this coming Messiah to come. What John the Baptist says is, hey, you know what? you're right. We haven't kept the covenant. So what we're going to do is we're going to go out and back out into the, to the wilderness. We're going to go back out to the Jordan river where Israel originally accepted the covenant. And what happened? They went through this quote unquote, baptism through the Jordan. Remember that once again, the, the, the water parts, Israel comes through, they say that we're going to, yes, we will accept it, Joshua 1. We will accept the covenant, Joshua 1, 2, and 3. And they come through the Jordan into the lands. And now they've been given the land because they've accepted the covenant. But they instantaneously turn <laughs> they turn from the covenant. What John the Baptist is saying is, hey, we're going back out. We're, and, you know, those who want to actually keep the covenant the right way, we're going to hail in this messianic age. We're going to do it r- the right way. And we're going we're to come through the water again. So if you're with me, let's go. Everybody goes back out to the Jordan. People start getting baptized. Now, the baptism <clears throat> is not just a sign that they're going to keep the covenant. It's a sign that they accept the the kingship of the Messiah. It's uh, that they are going to not only keep the the covenant, but they accept the yoke of the of the Messiah on them, and that they are His. That is the symbolism here, and so when when uh, and ultimately that they accept God as their king, right? That that God is the one who they will now serve, and so this becomes the staple for if you're the the sign for if you are going to have yeshua as your lord and savior you will go through the the waters just as as the believers did in the first century or just as the people did in the first century who said we will keep the covenant the right way and we will accept the messiah and come lord and and rule over us that's how i see the difference a mikveh is not that a mikveh is saying i have become defiled Ritually impure. Un- un- I want to come back into the to the sacred space, and I need to wash to do that. I can do that over and over and over and over again every time.
2: That's that's how I see that. Rob, yeah, good, good job, man. The uh, <laughs> that's yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, I would just put it. Maybe I, I I might just highlight a different different aspects of the same point. I think is that the washing the requirement of washing like Caleb's talking about just comes from the Torah. Now they don't use the word they don't use that word. They just say, you shall, you know, he shall wash his flesh in water. Right. And so we know what the sources of impurity are, right. It could be touching a, a corpse of an animal, right. Which is unclean for a day, right. Uh, different kinds of bodily, you know, uh, emissions. Events. Yeah. Yeah. There's, um, but then there's, or, you know, there's corpse defilement of a, of a human corpse, which has, uh, you know, a week-long process. And, and there's washing on the third day and on the, the seventh day, if I remember right. But the idea is, each of these, Caleb said this at the beginning, each of these is a Torah prescription with respect to um, restoration to the active life of worship. And in other words, if a person is def- is temporarily, you know, for a week long, is defiled, that doesn't mean their soul is defiled. That doesn't mean they sinned. It could just be they buried their beloved one, right? And and that's and th- that's I think that's probably and, but the they main still, point. They still need the washing because there's a there's a a lesson there, which I think is a very profound lesson about life is is presence with God, death is separation from God and we need to return to life, right? Um, there's, a, there's a participation in death in a way when you, when you take care of, of, a, of a corpse. And that is a, that is a mark of sin and death, the reign of sin and, and the death, you know, because but, but of okay, sin in I, the world.
1: And th- this is how, uh, what Rob is talking about right now is how, how mikvahs and baptisms are connected. However, the mikvah will only take away the ritualistic impurity. However... Baptism is a sign that you have accepted the Messiah as king and that you will live unto him. And through that process, it actually takes care of the sin. A mikveh will never deal with sin in any way, shape or form, but it will deal with with impurity,
2: right. yeah. and the, and so I would just say, so we know that that's Torah commandment, right? that that's washing. Now does it say that it has to be a certain size of a of a, you know, pool or you know like the rabbis define does no, a shower count is is a what, question what i, the, does what a shower I count? suggest is that what happened was when you go to, you go to israel today and you can see excavations of the first century synagogues you can look at Qumran. you can look at even at masada you can look at uh, even in the old uh old city of jerusalem in the in the priest quarters they have little stepped pools inside their homes even right these were all little look like mini hot tubs you know but basically it's just got steps down in but they're really deep and then they come back out right these were highly influenced by roman culture roman roman culture had high there was a highfalutin bath culture like to take baths and to soak in the water was had all connotations of healing and well-being and 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 there was like it was part of like a roman culture that in my opinion influenced Private mikvahot in Israel, and so that's sure. why, like in Luke, I don't remember what chapter. Maybe some wise, but there's a there's a passage where Luke accepts an invitation to a Pharisee's home, and it says that the Pharisee is like startled that Yeshua didn't immerse before eating, and but I've always said, well, I, what makes sense is that that home it was probably a well-to-do Pharisee who probably had some sort of courtyard that might have joined with other Pharisees and then they shared either either he was wealthy enough to have his own immersion pool in his own home or he shared it but that it wasn't like a guy down the street could you know or some guy stranger could come and avail himself <laughs> of that pool because not only then it had it had its roots in yes washing for the sake of purification for holiness but what we see by the first century is a transition to where the meal table in the homes of pharisees particularly and and at qumran so not just pharisees was viewed as some sort of holy altar itself and there was a transition of like somehow our house reflects temple purity and it seems like oh that seems like harmless right that seems like except now we're defining holy what the scripture didn't define as holy right right? we're defining pure and impure on we've moved the the centerpiece right we've, yeah the goalpost has been moved <clears throat> we've displaced jerusalem you know the temple mount because right. it's the temple mount or the the mishkan which was the centerpiece of this requirement for washing access to the holy place defined demarcated by god is what the washing was about but now you have due to sectarian sectarian uh, agendas and what i think roman culture of like oh this is like a thing you know we, we're special that that's also another aspect of why the power of john preaching in the wilderness and people leaving they're you know they're leaving jerusalem they're leaving all the the villages and the countryside from the north and south to come to the jordan because it was freely accessible living water and it um, was a statement against the false ideas of purification. So, uh, but it absolutely is tied in with, with the forgiveness of sins, which as we know, which is tied to the promise of the new covenant, which Jeremiah talks about, which of course, Yeshua then comes and and fulfills. So um, it's very, it is a, it's a wonderful topic. It's rich with uh, all sorts of little nuance that you can dive into, but uh But yeah, you could, if you want to look, you can look up, you know, uh, ritual baths in first century Israel and just look at archaeological excavations. I think we went to uh, Magdala is a recent one up on the Sea of Galilee. And there are, there's a whole, like they had a whole building full of all these little ritual baths. And they had a way for water to come in from the Sea of Galilee to kind of come and distribute, you know. Cool. And it's like. You can see the root of them being like, "Oh, it's good to wash." We're acknowledging what the Torah says about certain things that happen, um, but it, in my view, it, it becomes hijacked by the first century, and anything hijacked is no longer oriented towards its proper goal. You know, and and so, anyway, that's that's all I have to say about that
1: see dot com. you can also send us a voice message 253-465-3205 it's 253-465-3205 it's been fun it's been real we'll be here on Friday for Mystery Bible Theater 3000 and we will most likely be back next week we hope that this conversation has done at least one thing that is to glorify our great God and Savior Yeshua the Messiah why well you know why because Messiah matters